Wow. Welcome to Life Church. Well, I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor, and if your wife has not yet signed you up for the men's retreat, uh, she probably already has. And so I um, hope you know where you're going that weekend. I, I do hope that you, I, I talked to uh, Pastor Ryan just a few minutes ago before the service about the number of slots that we have and spaces that we have, and we have some that are still left and available. And hope that you'll be able to join me. Chad Brugman's going to come in and, and speak. He was uh, the Monday night speaker of the Road Trip Revival at, at uh, the Brookfield campus. And so I hope you'll be able to be with us and be that part of that weekend. One of the things I love about stuff like that is a church that's the size of Life Church in multiple sites, I don't get the chance to hang out. Uh, and so things like this give me an opportunity to be able to eat, have coffee, uh, hang out and just interact with all the men that are there. So I'm going to be going. Uh, my son-in-law is going to be going. He didn't have much of a choice in that. And so he's going. He's riding with me. Oh, joy of his life. And uh, I said to him the very first weekend this was on, I just said, uh, Sean, you're signed up, right? And, uh, and so I said, Anna, make sure that happens because Anna works directly for me. So that's kind of an, a line item on her agenda. And so he... I, Poor guy. Anyhow, so pray for Sean. But uh, anyhow, so today we're concluding a series called Home Security. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to have one verse. I'm going to give you multiple verses throughout today, uh, today's message. We're starting a brand new series next weekend called Forgotten God. I hope you'll be back and you'll join me as we begin this series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're also going to be doing a Holy Spirit night uh, which will be a midweek uh, that will be happening in March. And uh, basically it's this time where we can unpack some even more uh, kind of a Q&A. I'll answer questions. Uh, if I don't know the answer, I'll just tell you I don't know. Isn't that good? Um, and so uh, don't trust people that always have the answers, especially when it comes to theology. The greatest response to theological questions many times is we just don't know but here are the thoughts. And so again, we'll be doing that, but I hope you'll be back with me next weekend as we kind of really dive deep for the next couple of weeks into this. This is still going to be a great series to invite uh, friends and people that are new to Life Church or don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're very cognizant of that, and so we welcome you. And again, today, if this is your first time to be at Life Church or at any one of the campuses you're joining us online, we're delighted to have you with us today. I want to talk today for the next couple of minutes about peace. And in the world in which we live in, it feels like this is a good subject. Uh, but I don't want to just talk about peace in our world. I do want to talk about that. But I want to talk about peace in our own lives and our homes, our jobs, and, and how do we have that? When, when, you, when you look at peace, it's very interesting in the Bible. The Bible begins in the book of Genesis, and it ends in the book of Revelation, both in very peaceful states. But something happens in the middle from the time that uh, first couple of chapters into the book of Genesis and all the way up to pretty, pretty far into the book of Revelation, there is conflict, it feels like, all the way through. Although the Bible speaks about the subject of peace 400 times from Genesis to Revelation, there is, there, we begin with peace and we end with peace. And I think the Bible is, is, is a book about how God is trying to get us to walk in peace to live in peace with ourselves, with people around us. Matter of fact, even if, you pra even if you talk to practicing Jews today, they will tell you that the law uh, that God gave Moses, uh, that what we would call the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, those, that, that law that God gave Moses is how man is to live in right relationship and at peace with God and with each other. 
And so the truth of the matter is, is that the Bible really is a book about trying to regain peace in our own heart and our own soul and peace with each other, peace with God. The problem is, is this little word called sin. Sin enters into the equation in in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, and there is this separation between man and God, and there is this conflict that comes in. There is this there is this one behind the conflict. His name is Satan. And he's coming in, seeking, going like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour to be able to, to take, take you down and take you out to extrapolate peace out of your life. If you think about it this for a moment, one of Satan's number one job is not just to get you to go to hell and to take you with him, but to try to, for you to have a life that's absent of peace. Peace in your own soul, peace in your own heart, peace in your own mind, peace in your, in your relationships, peace in your marriage, peace with your parents, peace with your kids, peace in your home, peace in your work, peace in, in the city in which you live in, peace in the government, peace in the world. If he can take that apart from you, the, the, and the closer it gets to home, the closer it gets to what's happening internally, the more unsettling it becomes. Because you can watch news and you can watch unpeaceful events unfold around the world and it doesn't necessarily deal with you. But when you can't sleep at night, when, when, when you've got a marriage that's on the rocks, when you've got chaos that's happening with your kids, you've got turmoil and tension that's happening at work, it's right in your backyard. How do you live with peace? How do you deal with peace? Great question. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, he gives a list of what's called the Beatitudes. And in verse 9, here's the Beatitude that Jesus gives. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. How can I be a peacemaker? How can I have peace in my life? How can I have peace in my home? How can I have peace in the world in which I live in? I want to take a couple of minutes today and I want to unpack what Jesus is talking about here. What is a peacemaker? What a peacemaker is not? And and how do I become a peacemaker in my home, in my world, and in my life? I want to give you three statements today. Statement number one, peacemakers tell the truth in love. Peacemakers tell the truth the truth, and love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. I told you I'm going to give you several scriptures throughout today. You may just want to jot these down, or you can go back at any point in time at lifechurchwi.com during the week, and you can watch this message. But Ephesians 4, 15 says this. Instead, we speak truth and love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Truth must not be used as a club that we use to bludgeon our family or people around us into submission. But truth must also not be avoided as an attempt to keep the peace. Sometimes people think, well, I'm just going to do this in order to kind of keep the peace. I'm just gonna, not going to say anything. I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. You, you might have even been taught when you were a kid, hey, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. We, we like to use this word today, nice. Just, let's just be nice to everybody. But nice really is not a biblical value. Kindness is. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23. But niceness is a perversion of kindness. Kindness means I love you enough to tell you the truth. Kindness means I love you enough to tell you, you know, you got spinach in your teeth. You know what I'm talking about? You got something right here. Now you hate those people that just look at you and go. You're like, what? Nothing. 
later for you to realize, no, you, you've got mustard on your face. I mean, it's just like, what? Just tell me, man. Your fly's down. As a public communicator, that's probably one of my worst fears. Can I really be honest with you? It's like, I check every time. Right now, I'm a little nervous. And used to, man, churches had these big wooden pulpits, and so it would just, you could just kind of check everything, you know? But, but, but the point is, is it's like people that love you, that are kind to you, they tell you the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it, even if it costs them a little relational currency with you, even if, even if it kind of puts them out there just a bit. This is what peace is about. If you go to the Old Testament that's written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Greek, so two different languages, the word for peace, both words mean this. It's a wish for the highest good. It's a wish or a desire for highest good. It's not absence of conflict. It's not passivity. It's not a passive verb. It's not a, it's not, no, no, no. It's an active, to, to be at peace is not to be at rest. To be at peace is not absence of conflict. To be at peace is I'm striving. I am pushing. I am going for the highest good. It's attention to be managed, not attention to solve. So when your home isn't, it's not called to be strife free. It's called to strive for the highest good. It's, this is an interesting word too, good. We don't use this word a lot because especially in America and as Americans, we want to be the best. It's the best. It's the greatest. Greatest of all time, not the good of all time. I know greatest of all time sounds better than good of all time, but we don't use that word good. But when you get into scripture, good is God's highest accolade that he gives something. Look at the creation story. The account of creation, when God creates, every day he creates, and at the end of the day, God reflects on what he creates, and he uses this phrase, and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. Peace is striving for good in your life. Peace is striving for good in your relationships. Peace is striving for good in your home and in your world. It's a wish. It's a desire. It's a striving. It's an activity for the highest good in your world. Peacemakers are not the same as peacekeepers. This is our world gets this really mixed up. Peacekeepers often avoid conflict in order to keep the peace. Let's just don't say anything. Let's just don't do anything. Everybody go back to their corners. We'll be okay. No. The conflict is still there. You're just not dealing with it. You just want to bury it, you know, so, so you don't have to deal with it. Peacemakers embrace the conflict in order to keep peace. Jesus never runs away from conflict. Never. Not one time. Matter of fact, at one point, I love in the Gospel of John, he's trying to keep himself back from what's happening because he knows that his time has not yet come. Yet he, show, he sends the disciples ahead to the festival and he shows up because he couldn't help himself. Because he was truth and he knew in him was truth. And the truth was what was going to set humanity free. And that was his mission, was to seek and save that which is lost. Peace is not the is not the avoidance of conflict, it's rather the embracing of conflict. You're not running for it, you're not looking, you're not creating. But well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that issue. 
Let's talk about that. What does that mean? How does that work? How, what, how, how does that make you feel? What, what's going on here? Why, why do you, where do you think this comes? Let, let's have a conversation. Peacekeepers work around the conflict. You ever worked in an organization or worked for someone who just works around people? So they got an employee or a person in, the, in, the, in, the, in their downline that just doesn't work instead of dealing with that person and having a candid, loving conversation, speaking truth into them, they just hire somebody else to do that job and they just work around, work around, work around, work around. That's peacekeeping. But peacemaking is let's work on and let's work through the conflict. What, what's the problem? Let, let's get in the middle of the problem. Let's just get right in the middle of whatever the ick is, right in the middle of whatever. And I understand timing and all of that, but let's just get in the middle. Let's work through that. This is true in your own life. What conflicts are you avoiding? Right now, some of you may be far away from God and the worship service that you just experienced, there's something that was happening. It's called the work of the Holy Spirit. I hope you'll be back next week as we unpack who that person is. It's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. The third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You're sensing the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're sensing the presence of the Holy Spirit in this room. The number one thing I pray every single weekend in every Life Church campus and every Life Church gathering is that you experience the presence of God. Not that you encounter me, not that you encounter excellence, not that you encounter great preaching, not, you, not that you encounter great worship, not that you get to see your friends, not if you're single, you will find a godly mate, although I hope you do. But my prayer for you is one thing, that you experience the presence of the Holy Spirit because that's transformative. And some of you, you're going, man, I just, is it hot in here? No, it's still pretty cold outside. Is it, is it just me? Yeah, it's, no, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. That's, it's Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. It's that some of you, you, you were fighting like cats and dogs on the way to church. Yeah, I know, I saw you. We've got cameras in the parking lots. No. <laughs> Can I just tell you, Tammy and I have not fought on the way to church in 20 years. We don't. We don't fight. And I can tell you how we do this. We drive two separate cars. <laughs> it works. It works. Don't laugh. Try it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The truth of the matter is, some of you, you're just, it's just, and it's coming. And all of a sudden, you're just like, do we really have to talk about this today? Like, I shaved my legs for this. Like, what, what's he Listen, it's a conflict. It's the issue in your marriage. It's the issue with your kids. Maybe you're in a blended family. And they're his kids or her kids. Some of you times you wish they were neither kids. Welcome to teenagers. Maybe there's something that's going on with your finances. Maybe there's something going on. Maybe you had a bad report from the doctor this week. There's a conflict. Don't just act like it doesn't exist. Identify it. Bring it to the Lord. This is the time to do that. And the question I have for you is, are you striving for your greatest good in your whatever it is? Your marriage, your home, your relationship with your kids, your work, whatever. Second statement. Peacemakers apologize when they're wrong. Peacemakers apologize when they're wrong. Book of James, chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, Jesus is the only one 
that forgives you of your sins. James does not say, confess your sins to one another that you may be forgiven. No. Confession to one another, confession to a priest, confession to any other human being on the face of the planet does not bring forgiveness. Only confession to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear about this. But it does say that there is healing when I confess my faults or my sins to a brother or to a sister. When I confess my faults or my sins to one another, I am finding healing. Why? Because what happens is, is that I'm getting out all of that stuff that's inside of me. I'm admitting my wrong. I'm admitting, hey, I came up short here. Hey, I missed it here. Hey, I shouldn't have said that. Hey, I should have went left when I went right. Hey, I, and, and, and here's the reality is people that operate in pride and in arrogance cannot admit their own faults and their failures. Parents, there are times that we're wrong. And it is painful to admit that to your children. But I'll never forget, my dad is about as stoic as they come. I've only seen my dad cry three times in my life. I mean, I'm just, and I remember vividly because my dad is, my dad is not, he is just, if you see my dad lift his hand in worship, I mean, revival has broken out. I'm just saying, like, he is very, he was an arbitrator for the union. My, my dad, he should have been a judge. He just has this furrowed brow. My daughter's called, called that look that I have, the Jerry Cole look. That's my dad's name. It's just this, like, what planet are you from? And I'm fixing to sever your head from your body, you know, kind of a deal. <laughs> but I'll never forget high school, sitting out by the old Chevrolet pickup truck. 1980, free-speed column, AM Jam radio. If you don't know what that is, I'll have to explain that to you later. And my dad said to me, I'm sorry. I thought you did X, Y, Z, and you didn't. It was your brother. Well, that, of course, it's always my brother. <laughs> but he apologized. For my dad to be as much of a man as he is and as stoic as he is, to admit he was wrong to me, a 17-year-old kid, a junior in high school, I'm a 50-year-old man, and I still remember that today. See, there's something about it when I confess. How different would our relationships be if we acknowledged our own sins, if we confessed our own sins, if we apologized for our own sins, and if we prayed together? How much different would church life be? How much different would, would, would small group and life group life be? How much different would, would your home be that if you, if you acknowledge when you sin, if you acknowledge when you were wrong, if you confess when you were wrong, if you confess when you, were, when you sinned, if you apologize and you made amends for that and then you prayed together? How do you apologize? I know some of you may have never, ever thought. I know you know what apologies are or I think that we think that we do. You know, I hate those apologies where I'm sorry that you felt like I, no, that's, don't put that on me. And I'm cleric enough in my personality that I'll be, and I'll say that. Like, no, 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 don't put that on me. You're not hanging that on me. I'm not a coat rack. Don't, don't hang that on me. No, to apologize means I need to admit to specific actions and or attitudes that I've had. Secondly, I make no excuses. I own my own junk. Third, I ask you or whomever I've wronged for forgiveness. Next, I change my behavior. 
It's not just enough that I ask for forgiveness. It's not just enough that I admit that I'm wrong. But if I don't change my behavior, what am I going to do? I'm going to repeat the same action over and over again. And there's a difference between when you talk about change between remorse and repentance. The Bible never calls us to be remorseful. The enemy of your soul wants you to be remorseful. He wants you before you just took communion to go, you're not worthy. Remember what you said this week? Remember what you did this week? Some of you are like, man, is he in my head in my kitchen? No, it's all of us. It's humanity. You're not worthy to take communion. You, you, who are you? You're trying to play this scam, but you know what you did. You know what you watched. You know what you said. You know where you were. You know, dot, 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 you fill in the blank. Can I just help you? None of us are worthy. None of us are worthy to take communion. None of us are worthy to receive the, the, the loving arms of Jesus around us. None of us are worthy to sit in his presence. None of us are worthy. None of us are righteous. I'm not, you're not. And when we come to the end of ourselves and we really understand that, that he is worthy and we're not, he is great and we're not, he is holy and we're not, but in his loving kindness as a father to his children, he wraps his arms around us and he restores us and he holds us, not because we're remorseful, but because we're repentant. Remorse means I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance means I'm sorry and to the best of my ability, I'm not going to do that again. See the difference? Remorse is something that you see when someone goes to be incarcerated because they have, they've basically connived people out of their life savings. And they're off on their way to a white-collar prison. <laughs> Repentance is the guy that's just in the puddle of tears going, I am so, so, so sorry. I will do anything that I can do. Please, please forgive me. God doesn't want our remorse. The devil does. Because remorse keeps you from repentance. Remorse doesn't change you. Remorse just gives you the lip service to say what you think people want to hear. Repentance changes you from the inside out. Remember, God doesn't look at your outer appearance. God looks on your heart. Remorse is an external, verbal assent to what you did. Repentance goes all the way to my heart. It's what David prays in Psalm 51. When the man of God comes and confronts, confronts him for his sin with Bathsheba. David's response in that moment was not, I'm sorry I got caught. Or I'm sorry that it hurt some people. He drops to his knees and he begins to, these words that we see written on a page, creating me a clean heart. Oh God. And renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. That's repentance. What do you need to apologize for today? What do you need to own today? Don't point... I understand they did wrong. I understand they did this. I understand. But what do you need to do? Because you cannot control anybody else but you. And if you notice, sometimes controlling you is very difficult. Self-leadership. Leading Aaron is the most difficult person that I will ever lead in any organization, in any realm, at any church, at any size that I'll do in my lifetime. Because I know me. I know how to lie to myself. I know how, to, I know how to, to portray something I'm not. 
I know how to hem and haul and do what I need to do to get where I need to go. What do I need to repent for? What do I need to apologize for? That's what peacemakers do. And lastly, peacemakers forgive and let go. Peacemakers forgive and let go. This is way much easier preached than lived, especially this point. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with one another, or with each other, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as a father forgave you. Look at that again. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any, that covers everything, has a grievance against someone, that can be anybody. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How does God forgive you? He forgets. The Bible says that when we give our sins to God, when we ask God to forgive us of our sins, he takes our sins and he casts them as far as the east is from the west. People don't do that. People want to throw your mistakes and your past and your sin back up in your face over and over and over. The enemy of your soul wants to do that. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. But you fill in the blank. And the truth of the matter is, is that God goes, I don't remember your sins anymore. When you ask God to forgive you of your sins, he forgets your sins and he forgives you of your sins. And in Colossians 3.13, the Bible instructs us, that's how we're to forgive one another. That's tough. Because you know what they said to me? Do you know what she did? <laughs> you see, what had happened was, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those conversations. Peacemakers are called to be sons of God. We read that in Matthew 5, 9. Because in that moment of forgiveness, in that moment of peacemaking, you are reflecting the Heavenly Father most clearly. Why? Because the Heavenly Father not only forgives, but He forgets. And when you choose to wade into conflict, to bring resolution, to strive for the highest good in your world, in your workplace, in your home, in your relationships, what it does is it's a reflection of who the Father is. And let me say this. Sometimes in that moment, especially in parenting, dads, listen to me, especially in parenting, you will have a time where your kids, especially if they're running away from God and they're living it with sin and, and they're in a rebellious streak in their life, in that moment, they will push against you, maybe even harder than they do mom. And it's not because mom takes up for them. It's because you become a representation of who the father is to them. They do the same thing to you that Adam and Eve does when God is walking in the cool of the day in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter th uh, 3. And God calls out and says, Adam, Eve, where are you? And they say, we're naked, so we hid from you, God. And God said, who told you you were naked? It's what we do. We hide. We don't want to go to church. We don't want to be in the presence. We don't want to be in the proximity. We don't want to be, because we know that I'm going to have to kind of spill the beans, so to speak. I'm, I'm going to have to lay it all out there. And in that moment, when you, when someone has wronged you, and you have the right to go, this is what you did to me, and justice says this, and justice says this. But instead of justice, you offer mercy. You become a reflection of the Heavenly Father. Instead of just going, okay, I forgive you, but I can never forget. And you, you choose to the best of your ability to forgive and to forget. You act more like the Father because you will forgive as the Father forgave. And in that moment, you become sons of God. You'll never more look more like God 
than when you forgive people. Think about what God's forgiven you of. Think about how many times you've asked God to forgive you for repeat offenses. The disciples had a hard time with this. They even asked Jesus, okay, what's the number of times we have to forgive someone? Think about that question. Doesn't that sound like good church people? Okay, you know, Brother Smith, he just really gets under my nerves. And Sister Beulah, you know, she's got her casserole that I hate that she always brings to the potluck. And she's kind of got her ways. And I mean, and, and how many times do I have to forgive them? The law says seven times, which is the number of perfection. Jesus said, no, it's 70 times seven. Means to infinity. As many times as it needs to be able to forgive, as many times as it needs to be able to live at peace, you do what you have the ability to do. Someone in your family might have significantly betrayed you or broken your trust, but family is worth forgiving. I know this is much easier preached than live, and there's a whole lot more to unpack than I have time for. But let me give you one last verse, Romans 12, 17 and 18. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Now, I understand there are some people, it's impossible. <laughs> but as much as it depends upon you, there's some people who just like to fight. I get that. But as much as it depends upon you, there's some who just like to argue. I understand that. But as much as it depends upon you, you, you can't control them. You can only control you. Live at peace. Peacemakers. Forgive and let go. What do you need to let go of today? Today, we're going to close in prayer. And as we do, the band's going to come and they're going to do a song. And I just want you to take this moment to ask yourself the question, am I at peace in my own heart? And if you're not, ask yourself why? And maybe it's because there's a rift between you and God. And here's the good news. First John 1.19 says that when we confess our sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful, he'll do it every single time. Just, he has the ability to do it and cleanse you from all sins and all unrighteousness. That word all in the original Greek means all, and that's really deep. It's, there's, no, there's no asterisk there. He won't forgive this kind of sin, or he won't forgive a sin that he's already forgiven before. Or he'll, won't, no, 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 no. Every single time. Maybe you're here today and there's just conflict in your marriage. And I'm telling you, I, I've seen this. And you point to the spouse, and they may have some glaring problems, but you're probably not without fault either. Even when Jesus is asked by the religious leaders of the day, why did Moses give a right of divorce? Jesus said this was his answer, because of the hardening of man's heart. It's impossible for two people to be fully yielded to the Holy Spirit and the work of God and their hearts be tender and open before the law of God and go into divorce. It's impossible. It doesn't work. It's because one heart is open and tender and the other heart's closed. And what happens is the work of the Holy Spirit happens and this heart begins to open and this heart begins to close. You see it all the time. And if you can ever get both hearts yielded before the Lord, God can do a work. How's your heart today?
not your spouse's heart, your heart. You're dealing with conflict with your kids and there's stuff that's going on that may be completely beyond you. And, but you just need peace. Maybe, maybe God's got to step into that. Maybe you've just got to give that to the Lord. Maybe you're trying to help God out and God doesn't really need your help. Are you striving for the greatest good in your life? Is there anything that you need to apologize for? Is there anything you need to ask forgiveness for? Is there anything that you need to let go of? Now is the time. And choose to walk in peace today. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the simplicity of your word. And I just pray in these next few moments as the band comes and as they began to lead at a song, at all the campuses and online, that you will just help us to take a moment, just to take inventory before we go into our week and ask ourselves, is there conflict in our life? Is there conflict that we have control over? Is there sin or issues that we need to confess or make right? Is there someone we need to go to and ask them to forgive us or make right with that brother or that sister? Is there something we need to give to you? Is there an issue with our own heart that we're holding bitterness and or harboring unforgiveness that's creating bitterness in us? Oh God, I just pray in these next few moments, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.